You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocal script off scene. You're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope that you are all staying safe. I hope that you are staying home. I hope that you are surrounded by the people you love. It's important to reach out to people. If you feel like social isolation is too much for you, there are many ways that you can do that, such as coming to a Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday hang, which happens every Thursday. Huge shout out and a big thank you to everyone that came out last night. I had such a great time. I personally really appreciate these hangs. It's always nice to see some familiar faces even though it is through a computer screen. So a huge shout out to all the Vox and Hops alumni, all of you Vox and Hops heads that came out to hang out with me, drink some craft beer. It was good fun, and it's going to happen again next week. Speaking about next week, next Tuesday, I'm going to be doing the very first full band interview with my good friends in Ingested. I have interviewed all of the members of Ingested, and what way to make this even better, take us to the next level, but to do a full band interview, and I'm going to be streaming this on the Vox and Hops Facebook page. This is happening next Tuesday, April 14th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I hope you can be there. I hope you can watch it. Send me some questions. It's going to be good fun hanging out with all of the Ingested members once again. Today's episode I'm with Tulma Sokonen from Wolfhart. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 127. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Tulma Sokonen from Wolfhart. I am super happy to be with you. It has been difficult to, to catch up due to multiple reasons, uh, but we are together now, thanks to the internet. How are you? I asked you that as we started, and you said uh, that is a very difficult question to answer now, so, so let's cover that. How are you handling the madness that is COVID-19? No, personally, I'm doing well. I don't have any health issues. I don't I, I get to go back to my work when the talk got canceled. Everything rolls in my life quite naturally, but uh, everything around me is completely getting fucked up. So it's uh, scary times. It kind of feels like I'm in a movie. It's a very surreal movie. I just don't know who is directing. I hope it's not Stephen King because that's, the ending is going to be horrible. But uh, it feels really surreal. I agree. Uh, Stephen King, or I don't want it to be a Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's a Disney. One of those uh, those new Disney Marvel movies where it starts off bad and then it gets, it gets better. Yeah. Uh, you were on Devastation on the Nation 2020. Uh, a slight blessing in disguise is that everything went south before you guys flew over. Leading up to Trump banning international flights coming in, what was the mindset of the band regarding COVID-19 before those days? Uh, I was monitoring the situation for since basically the beginning when the Finnish news started covering the issue. So it's it, already a few weeks before the talk had canceled, it started to look very unlikely for it to happen. So we, we had some time to start with the damage control. But of course, we hoped that it would happen. It's it's very complicated thing after paying all the visas and the flights and you have the backline book, you print the merch, all of that uh, included on the tour and the tour getting canceled. So of course, we hope things would change. Completely new scenario. There's not, nothing in the in the close history 
that you could just look back and say like, this is going to go like this, like it happened in the eighties or so, so nobody knew how it's going to go and what's going to happen in the next week. So we ho- did hope it would happen, but we were pretty much prepared that it's going to, going to be canceled. So it wasn't the surprise at all. It was just made everything more clear. No more thinking, just focus on the damage control. Which uh, you guys did something very smart. You have set up, uh, you're planning to do a live stream performance. So to talk me through that. How did that all come to fruition? Actually, our uh, approach is a little bit different than I've seen from the other bands because we are the only one so far who is not streaming the gig. Okay. Uh, we recorded the gig already uh, last week. Uh, and I'm in the middle of editing the, uh, the concert now. So it's basically, we're going to provide like this that used to be DVD. Now it's just going to be a download link for every fan who bought the ticket. And we're going to put some extra stuff like gear run down and, um, question and answer everything that we can just pile into the same package to make it as uh, special as possible for the fans streaming. We did think about that option, but, uh, then YouTube and Netflix already announced that they're going to lower the quality of all of their stuff because there's been going to be so many people online. So it would be a little bit complicated to guarantee the certain quality of the footage. Also, the few ones, the few first streams that I saw, one issue with for me would be the the, the cutting. The if the person who is responsible of changing the camera angles doesn't really understand the tempo or the nature of the song or the band or the music it can get really uh irritating i don't i'm not going to mention the bands because the the bands were awesome they did a really good show everything was really well set up but uh to me it was really disturbing when it nothing was on tempo and the, the camera angles were not that good so this is a little bit more work for us because editing one hour gig with the, the almost 10 camera angles means about 60 to 80 hours for me to editing. But at least I know that the, the result is something that I can proudly you know, give to the fans. Exactly, exactly. Especially if they're paying for it. Yeah, because it would be a horrible thing. You have the streaming set up, you do the gig, and then you start getting messages that uh, somebody doesn't get the audio, somebody doesn't get the picture, or is blurry, or is cutting off, on and off. Everything you don't want to experience in, uh, when you are looking at the gig and already the whole setup is completely i don't i don't want to use the word horrible because we still get to play and audience still get to see since this is the only option but uh there's no energy that's the whole thing the energy between the band and the audience so that's that was really weird when we did the shooting for the gig because you perform you performed like it, you were performing for a crowd yeah, yeah. Okay, that must be very difficult. It's like all going back to 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 Pink Floyd, the wall, but you're you're performing through this cyber wall. Yeah, which is it must be so difficult to break through to to actually connect to the people, which is what you want to give them, but it's very challenging. Yeah, yeah, because it's completely new scenario. Of course, we played hundreds of gigs and we did hundreds of hours rehearsing. This is something we never done. Like a, such a simple thing as playing metal music became so new and complicated because you change a little bit of the environment. And I think if the venue would have been completely empty, it would have been a little bit easier to just use your imagination. But there was the sound guy, there was the light guy, there was the camera crew. So there was a handful of people. 
So that made it even more like a complicated thing. But uh, but I I do know that this is the only way to make any kind of like a live experience happen. So we just play by the rules. But I really hope this is not going to be the new normal. It would be very difficult to. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, yeah. Because that energy from the crowd is half of the battle. Yeah. Vox and Hops, I see you're drinking something over there. I'm I'm curious as to what you're at. Before this started, uh, we hooked this up together. I got your contact through Daniel Defonce. Huge shout out to Daniel Defonce from Metal Festival Tours, Unique Leaders, and Continental Touring. I hit you up about organizing this interview. We went back and forth a bit. And then I got roped in with Natalie Camilo. Huge shout out to Natalie. Thank you for taking good care of all of your artists from Napalm Records. And then this morning she wrote me in a complete panic saying, oh, my God, <laughs> I normally do all of this, and I make sure that my, you know, and see if it works. Uh, Tuomas is, is, is straight edge. How is this going to work on Vox and Hops? And she was freaking out. But then she saw that you had a non-alcoholic beer, and you were cool with that. Yeah. So <laughs> huge shout-out to Natalie. Thank you for taking care of your artists and taking care of uh, setting up good interviews for me. Yeah, I, I get, the, get the email, too, because, uh, because <laughs> the... But I, I did say one of your early emails when we were setting up, you had the, the al- uh, non-alcoholic thing. Yes, of course. Yeah. So I didn't th- thought it was an issue, but uh, yeah, I got the same email. So he <laughs> <laughs> was genuinely worried, like if there's something bad is going to happen now. I'm, I don't want to be a bad influence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what, what are you drinking on your side? What non-alcoholic brew did you find? Actually, I couldn't find, find any beer because a lot of the stores are closed in Finland. We are like the shutdown level is just increasing almost daily. Well, uh, one of one one reason why we had to reschedule was the roadblocks that they, the first time ever since Second World War, they are actually having police and army checking every car, every train passenger who is trying to leave or enter the capital region of Finland, which of course makes for the people who are able to work and move makes life 10 times more difficult because just getting to places you need to have like six to eight hours booked when you are traveling for one hour because wow if there's 500 cars before you and the police is going to ask everybody why are you driving do you have, and you need to have a document showing you actually live in the region or you have a work there you it's not just verbal thing like i need to have all the documents on my phone to show the address the rental contract uh, uh, the the work contract, and they actually read read it. It wasn't just something that I showed, and they like, uh, you, you got that, you you are good to go. So, so I, so I'm bound now. I, I think it's like I didn't want to disrespect the 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 format that you have, but I'm bound with very extraordinary boundaries. Also, completely understandable. So, only thing I could find is uh, there's this uh, a small store that has this um, Finnish energy drink. And I, I do have a long background with energy drinks. I have a, the, one of the, the only Finnish named energy drink uh, name tattooed in my knuckles. Really? And why, why is that? What, what is this connection to energy drinks? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because uh, I don't like, uh, I like sweet drinks. And uh, I, I do prefer the taste of energy drinks. I don't drink coffee at all. I don't drink energy drink even that much, but it has become kind of like a thing, not to me, but for other people. And then this, uh, the one of the biggest uh, beer companies in Finland who has this uh, energy drink brand, 
we got to talk about the whole thing because it was covered in a lot of uh, Finnish interviews. And uh, me having always this can with me, <laughs> kind of make it seem like that's the only thing I'm drinking. I'm using that for showering and, and making food. <laughs> like everything is, that's the only liquid like in my life. So they, they, uh, they had an idea to do some cooperation. I had a really funny day. You know, the funny days when you get funny ideas in your head, but they don't really uh, work well with uh, being smart. So then my pro- counter proposal, like, let me just make a tattoo out of the logo and uh, we make a video of that and you pay me money. And that's, <laughs> that's badass. So you're endorsed by this company. What, what, what is the name of the company? Uh, all of it is the, is the beer company and a, uh, Teho is the, the energy drink, which is power in English. Awesome. Or, or energy. It depends how you want to translate it. So I have, a, I have probably one of the biggest physical contacts to a beer company of all the Finnish metal musicians. And still I'm the one who doesn't drink beer, which is really, really rare, at least in Scandinavia. So I work my connection. I have a connection. I'm not normal straight edge. My... I have a connection for the beer industry, but it's a little bit different than than usually. That's very, very interesting. Me on my side, I am drinking uh, Mad Manu. This is from Overhop Canada. It's actually a brewery that started in Brazil that the owners relocated up here in Canada. And uh, this is just a standard American blonde ale. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Let's touch on being straight edge. Uh, how long have you been straight edge? Well, yeah, that's easy. My whole life with me is 40 years now. Really? You've never touched alcohol? Yeah. No. Once. I lost the bet 2009 or 10. I drank one bottle of beer. Wow. <laughs> what led you to just never wanting to go down that path? I don't, I don't even, even know. I, I started playing gigs when I was 16, which means that I was underage and bars. And when, even though if you're underage, you get, you have very easy access to alcohol when you are playing gigs. And I was never part of a straight edge band. So none of my bandmates, like they, they drink my share also. So it, it's not like we left any beers or alcohol because I didn't drink. <laughs> I, I just never got into it. It's just, I don't know why. It, it never was, it was never a decision. There's no decision. I'm not being smarter or better or definitely not healthier. I think I'm, I'm going to have a, uh, adulthood diabetes coming up in five years or so with all the sugar I take. So there's no, like a lot of people ask me, is it like, a, you know, health or ethical or, what is the reason, but there's, I just never was into it. Actually, no reason, super boring. (laughs) Take me back to your youth, uh, Tuomas. When you were growing up in your house as a child, what music was playing on the radio when you were not in control of the music? I don't really remember. I don't think we listened that much of the music at home. It was just, just some regular radio channel. My, my mom was, uh, I don't know the, word down English, but, uh, I, I, not like a, like a daycare thing. We had always like few extra kids during the daytime. So there was, and we had seven parrots, two dogs and two cats. 
at the at the busiest time. <laughs> so we didn't really need the extra noise. <laughs> so I don't remember I don't remember any music being played at home. I do remember a lot of noises. So it was more like when I started to listen to music that brought the music into my life. So but there's a there's a connection, a lot of connections in my past that I can pinpoint why I started going to death metal, because uh, it was a small village, 5,000 people, but there was one metal band, and then uh, the vocalist was living in my neighbor. So, uh, and he was uh, like uh, 10 years older than me, so of course I, I look up to them as the coolest guys in the whole village. <laughs> the only metal, only actual metalheads that, that dress like a metalhead, like visually metalheads, so they, you stick really well out, uh, in, in like uh, early 90s in a very small countryside uh, village, uh, village in Finland. And uh, he gave me their first demo cassettes of two songs which had growling vocals. And I, I didn't even know that there is a thing called death metal. Like uh, I, I knew Bon Jovi, Scorpions, Mötley Crue, something like that. But uh, I was really young. I was like 13 when I first heard... Uh, the growling vocals. Nowadays, not that early, but at that time, there was no headbangers, balls, there was no metal media, at least in Finland, where I could actually even find bands. And uh, and that was really like a proper death metal, good quality, actually, even. They were, were, were one of the first bands that uh, got a record deal in Germany. It never really led to anything. They, I think it was too early, like no proper management, it's, it wasn't a good time yet to be a Finnish band in Europe because nobody knew how things actually work. But the the drummer of the of the band is is nowadays the one of the managers of Nightwish. Really? Yeah. It's funny, eh? Because Nightwish Nightwish is from the neighbor village uh, than where I was born, and uh, I, I think the the having that band and seeing the managemental issues and how it is to run a band and trying to get the international co- contacts and get get out from Finland uh, to begin with was kind of like I gave some kind of idea for the drummer to focus on that side. And he's been with Nightwish, I think, from the almost from the beginning. Yeah, good for him. So if, if, if you're going to go to Nightwish concert and you happen to at least know by face the manager guy, go and ask when Scum is going to do a next album. <laughs> that was the name of the band. Fucking awesome. It's funny how all these small connections in, in life all lead to somewhere. Yeah. Had you not had that guy as a neighbor, the scum member, you might have not yeah. led down this path of death metal. Yeah. How, how hard was it for you to find like-minded musicians at that time of your life to form a band to portray the music that you wanted to create? It, it was, I didn't even try in that village. It was small enough that you know everybody already. You knew that there's nobody <laughs> like it's a, so, so you, it wasn't even an option to think about like maybe having a band because you knew already that uh, it was small enough village that uh, the high school that was in the village gathered a lot of uh, other kids from six different villages and they didn't have anybody. So you already knew that there is nobody like, so uh, we eventually we moved and then it took still like uh, from that point it, when I started writing music it took me 10 years to actually have a band you were just just writing in your room 
I, I did play drums in 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 few few like rock and metal bands, but I, I didn't give, give my songs to them. And then I kind of started making demos on my own and started booking studios where I just played all the instruments. Not the the smartest quality decision, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I started differently. I didn't start. I wasn't. I, I guess I wasn't never that into the idea of just being a member of a band. I was more interested of writing music and then. The band came along when I wanted to start playing gigs. Out, out of necessity, you found members. Yeah. Do you remember that first gig? Your first time on stage? Yeah. I, I, was, I was a drummer in a rock band. It, it wasn't much of a gig. Uh, that's the only thing. I. It wasn't a bad show. But uh, w- when you are first time on the stage, you likely fuck up something or you just go into the survival mode and the happiest moment is when you get out from the stage that you survive not that you are able to enjoy the the distance from a to b that comes later on but uh i, I do remember a lot of the gig yeah it, it wasn't a bad gig but it was just uh just waiting to it, it to be done and hopefully somehow survive it especially as a drummer it's so stressful as a drummer because yeah. if you fuck up Everyone sees it. <laughs> Everyone knows it, and it affects absolutely every other member on stage. Yeah, I've, that I've noticed, and I'm not trying to talk myself to be a bad guitar player or sloppy guitar player, but when you play hundreds of gigs, things happen, and a lot of things has happened to me as a guitar player that nobody ever seems to notice. <laughs> it's always the, always the same, oh, you guys play so tight tonight. I'm like, y- yeah, yeah. That, that's what that's when you know if they are watching or not for real though especially when you're on tour with people and you're like in a touring party and they say oh that was great and i was like dude the whole sample system went down we cut half a song are you are you you didn't watch us i i know it <laughs> yeah but I, I never asked i always get that feedback from the fans or people who have seen us live before that i know and still they don't hear the mistakes with the guitar but with the drummer it's uh especially when our drummer uses triggers and the bass drums he uses uh, he hits snare and thumbs really hard, which means that everything stands out easily well enough that every mistake can be heard in the neighbor venue. Even so, <laughs> it's a different thing with drummers, and and it's a it's a different level of stress also because it's it's it doesn't forgive you at all if you fuck up. Everybody will understand if you just. If you just fuck up with chords a little bit, it just blurs in there, or you can just convince people that you are more into jazz nowadays. <laughs> but if, if the drummer if drummer fucks up, everybody has a sense of rhythm. Everything else is more like artistical choice. You can you can it it, it was your interpretation of that melody for that night. That's how you wanted to play it that way. <laughs> you can always always explain yourself as a as a it, with any melodic instruments. It's just but with drums, it's either correct or incorrect. So, I guess we're lucky then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take take me through. Uh, if you could go back, you've done a lot of tours in life. If you can go back and relive one of your tours because you had so much fun, you loved the lineup. What what tour would that be? Um, we did the tour with my one of my previous bands before the dawn, supporting Amorphis, and I think that was my first like a real big tour in Europe. And, um, yeah, that, that was, that was really cool. That was really cool in so many ways. I, I always loved Amorphis. 
that was one of the first tours that they had with the new vocalist. And uh, that really like uh, gave a lot of energy for the band. They were really like excited. That that makes bands, uh, another band, a good company when they are excited. It's, uh, the whole touring, touring party can get really gloomy if the headliner has issues inside or they are just not into it, what they're doing at the moment. That is a huge reflection to everybody. But when the headliner is like a young, young guys playing their first tour ever, that kind of like gives everybody the same, same kind of mood. So it was, it was a really, really cool tour. I get to go to places like, uh, like very deep East Europe that I wasn't ever been. I only played tours in Central Europe. So it was, it was exciting and exciting both at the same time. But it was also super professional. And with the Finnish crew, so that was a easy thing, easy tour to learn a lot of stuff because the crew was Finnish, all the bands were Finnish. So, yeah, it was, that was, I would, and I would actually, not that I miss the band that much, I do miss the songs. So I would anyway like to play one tour with the Before the Dawn songs because I haven't get to play them in over 10 years now. So, yeah, that would be the one. Well, now, now you can do it. You can do it a, a virtual gig for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we'll see. That's that's going to be my last option still. <laughs> it is yeah. true that, as you're mentioning, and a lot of fans at home probably don't realize this, that when you're on tour with a bunch of people, there is a vibe in the tour which which can really make or break a tour for the artists yeah. as a part of the tour. And, and if a headliner is, uh, they're having issues within the band, if they're tired and fed up and burnt out because they've been touring for too much and they're blasé about it, it really does reflect upon the rest of the tour, especially if you're sharing a tour bus yeah. and you're all together and you have to play by their rules. A lot of bands that I've toured with are super cool and they're not, you know, implicating too many rules on us and stuff, but uh, it does tend to happen. Yeah. I heard a few really bad stories from... Uh especially some Scandinavian bands touring in the U.S. It wasn't American bands, though. Really? Okay. But, uh, yeah, like really, really bad. Like bad enough that me, who never uh, had any like uh, needs to use violence, I would be going buying some baseball bats and barbed wire and <laughs> would go completely full walking dead mental because uh, U.S. tours are different because the costs are... The, the whole financial system is different with the visas and everything. Everything costs more money. So if you get fucked up in an American tour, that's going to be a lot worse than would be happening in, in, in Europe. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm being really lucky too. I never had a bad touring company, never had a bad headliner. Only one shitty tour manager, but he was just a tour manager. Again, the headliner on that tour was really cool. So, yeah, there's a, but it is a huge, and also if, if the crew is really shitty, because when you are an opener or, or the main support, you are more, more contact with the crew, especially around the actual geek than the, the headliner. That's true. And if that, if the chemistry with them is bad, because there are some crews, European ones that I know that are more like rock stars than the bands itself. They take their status really seriously and when they have a bad day, they don't have any filters because they don't really work for us. We don't pay their salary, even though if there's a buy-in involved. 
it comes from the the headliner. So they can just pour all the crap to the, the support band. So that's also another thing that uh, I've been really lucky to have a really good cruise. But uh, I used to also work as a stage manager and festival producer for 15 years. So I, I get to know the, a lot of the crews from different bands. And I already always knew, like, when there's a certain, not going to mention names, but this certain metal band coming, I already knew there's going to be trouble because there's few guys in the crew who just, that's what they do. Just make things complicated rather than bring solution. And uh, touring with those kind of crews would take a little bit of uh, the fun out of the whole thing. Especially when you're living with them. Yeah, I, I can see. I can see that being because they they tend to act like bigger rock stars than the artists themselves. Yeah, I have a few cr- uh, crews that come to mind as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's not mention names. <laughs> no, no. Of course not. No. <laughs> uh, let's touch on Wolves of Corellia, your new record. Uh, how excited are you about this? Uh, when does it come out? Let's do our due diligence and cover the new record for Napalm. Uh, it comes out next Friday. Nice. Tenth uh, tenth of, of April. Uh, the excitement is still the same when it comes to releasing music. It's always super cool to get the new music out and, uh, and, and write new music and whatever is connected with the creative process. This time it's a little bit different when it comes to the promotion and the, the business side, because, uh, we always schedule the tours and live events to support the release. Now there's none. A lot of stores are closing. It's going to be really difficult for people to just walk to the record store and buy the album. And uh, a lot of the big labels are already postponing a lot of the release. Our release was already in, in motion. It would have, it would have been more damaged than, than actually good to move the date. But um, for the musical side, super excited for the release. Like I'm not too focused on the business side otherwise. It, it numbers will be the, what the numbers will be. Like I don't really give much of a thought. But now, when the whole industry is in trouble, and there is this uh, this huge issue that is clearly doing some kind of a damage for our release when it comes to sales, which means money for the label, which means the budget for our next album. Like there's uh, the so that that kind of worries me a little bit. Like because there's again this hasn't happened. Nobody knows how, how it will affect, how long it will go. And, uh, and yeah, but then again, everybody's in the same boat. So I'm not, it's not like, uh, I think that this something unfair is happening. It's the, in the whole global scale, this is just one metal album. We will just write another one and tour when we can. But, uh, but this release is, is actually a lot different because a lot of things, a lot of things will probably damage to release this time. Well, I hope that everyone takes it into consideration, especially on the label side. Yeah, but you know, you know how labels work. I'm not talking bad about our label now. It's just I do. I used to have my own small label in Finland releasing metal bands also. So it's it's not like a not any kind of criticism towards the labels, but they they need to make money to be able to push money to help the bands. That's the only way they can work as a labels they have to do business they have to make money that's the that's the contrast between the artist and the and the label the other one is doing the art another one is turning it into a money but it has to happen who's going to pay the budget who's going to make 
make it able to make the videos, who's going to press the CDs, who's going to do the advertisement, like uh, who's going to set the interviews like we are doing now. Like it's the, that machinery needs the money. So it's, uh, it's not like, a, yeah, they, there is the blunt financial business side that is vital part of the whole music thing. That's why it's called music business, I think. <laughs> but the damage will be, that, that remains to be seen. But um, of course, labels need to focus on surviving also. So they will, I do understand that they will make a lot of decision based on, on, on the financial side. Is, is your number gonna be red or green in the Excel file that will determine a lot in the, in the future for us also. Well, everyone listening at home, all you Wolfheart fans, all you Vox <laughs> and Hops heads, just go out there, support the artists that you love, pick up Wolves of Karelia, support Wolfheart so that they're in the green, <laughs> and support all the rest of the artists that you love so to make sure that they're in the green because we need more music. Yeah, I'm sort of sad at this point. I'm imagining like albums getting pushed because every Friday I wake up and I, I check my phone and I'm like, what's new? What's coming out today? Because I need new music. I'm just like that. Mm. I'm, I'm imagining there's going to be a moment I'm going to wake up in the morning. There's going to be nothing new. Uh, movies are getting delayed. TV shows, productions are being pushed back. There's going to be nothing new on TV. Nothing new in the movie sphere. The entertainment industry is going to be so fucking boring. I can't wait till all this shit is over. So we need to keep supporting the art that we love. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's another side that I'm a tiny bit worried. Uh, why was the reason also that I didn't want to postpone our release at all? Because now that the labels are pushing the releases, imagine how many albums there's going to be too much. That's, that's also like if the cycle needs to be steady. If there's too much... It's not good for the fans. It's not good for the bands or the labels. Then a lot of good albums just will eventually get buried. And a lot of good bands don't get the attention from the label or from the fans that they would deserve. Or So it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, now there's going to be probably quite silent few months. I'm pretty sure the festival season is going to be canceled. I agree. So it's going to be really quiet summer. And uh, then, Everybody is trying to tour and release music starting probably from September to November. So it's going to be, it's not just like fans shouldn't just support the bands at the moment, but just prepare <laughs> mentally and financially that everybody is trying to release an album starting probably from September. At, like all the tours are trying to reschedule for that. That's why I think that's why I think Defonce was smart. Yeah. Shout out to Dan Defonce again uh, for rescheduling Devastation a whole year. Yeah. That was smart of him to, to book all those venues which were already available, which I'm sure people are already trying to yeah. do that exact same thing with their tours right now. Mm. Yeah, that was really good. And we were really lucky with that because our visas expire four days after the, no the way. new date. Oh, that's awesome. It's just one or two weeks later, and we would have been in a really bad situation because uh, it, it doesn't really make that much sense to just fly to North America and play three weeks out of five. Again, the, the cost balance goes really badly off. So and it, it was a really smart decision because nobody still knows what's going to happen in September. That would be the worst, worst scenario that you reschedule a tour that still doesn't happen. Don't, so, don't, don't print no tour date shirts. 
<laughs> Every, everyone listening there, do not print tour date shirts for the foreseen future. Yeah. <laughs> it's just taking your money and hypothetically throwing it in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Tuomas, thank you so much for hanging out with me, drinking some energy drink while I'm drinking uh, an overhop brew. It is a pleasure. When you come through next year, we will hook up again. We'll have a chat face-to-face. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Thank you so, so much for coming and being on Vox and Hops. Cheers, brother. Thank you. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. I had such a good chat with Tuomas, such a smart dude. I love talking to uh, people that have their finger on the pulse when it comes to the music industry. Uh, What we were wrapping up with at the end of that interview is a very important note. I have been pushing and telling everyone to support the artists that they love, and this is the exact reason why you must do this right now, especially if your artists are releasing CDs. The CD sales that happened during this pandemic is going to affect their future budgets, for such things as music videos, artwork, and other things that cost a lot of money that extreme musician artists don't necessarily have the personal budget for. All the artists that you love that are releasing CDs right now, go out there, pick up a version of it, support those artists. It is extremely important right now. It's also very, very important to support your local craft beer industry right now. They're also suffering but you can help them. There are a bunch of ways that you can support your local craft beer industry. Even if you're not going into a tap room, you should just check out all of their social media pages of all your favorite local craft beer breweries. And I'm sure that they have the information posted up there. And if they do not, write them some questions, call them, ask them, how can I still support you? How can I buy some brews? Trust me, they need it. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'm going to rest a bit, and then I'm going to come at you next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, three episodes per week. That's how I'm going to be running things throughout the rest of this social isolation. I'm going to sit back, hang out with my family, and I suggest that you do the same. But always remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Opsets. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. uh, And right now you're going to be getting a little... A little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.